Welcome to The Third Wheel. This is the fifth outing into this book, and thankfully our last. Uh, the Eye of the World has really been something. Um, <laughs> I am a host, Tyler. I have read the entire series before. I am Bion. I am also a host, because we are all hosts. And I'm a first-time reader. And I'm Jesse. I'm also a host, because there are neither main hosts nor side hosts in The Turning of the Wheel. And I am currently on a further read, which is around in the middle of book four right now. So all three of us have different levels of experience reading the series. Yes, but luckily we now all have the experience of reading Eye of the World, and so we are through the worst part. <laughs> yeah... I have some pretty rough feelings about this book at this point. I remember that there are parts of this series that are maybe worse. The pacing just felt very different from the rest of it. Yeah. And uh, it's like, um, I don't know, I keep comparing every episode I mentioned fanfiction at once, but this, it kind of felt like this was planning on being longer, even more epic of a book, which would be frustrating for us, but it, fe it feels like that from the beginning. But then by the ending, it's, it's as if the person was like, I am running out of energy. This is the story. Congratulations. That's the kind of the sensation I got. Well, it's funny. The Eye of the World, I think, is the second longest book in the series, just uh, after Shadow Rising. But I think Robert Jordan also was planning on this book series only being six books and all being around the length of The Eye of the World. But maybe that sensation that you were describing put him off doing that going forward. <laughs> probably easier to maintain uh, a sense of progress with writing of course i don't know i don't know how this writer writes is is he a uh, slowly day by day or a uh, giant amounts when the muse strikes and then nothing for a while yeah, that's interesting sense of progress coughs in books six through ten you don't even know yet <laughs> i know the community do you want to make the joke on my behalf, then? <laughs> no. This is, like, the fifth longest book in the series. Jesse, you filthy liar. Wait, really? Yeah. Um, Lord of Chaos is almost 400,000 words. Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. Shadow Rising is the longest. 393,000. Uh, one, two, three. Yeah, this is, like... No. Wow, this is even lower. This is like the seventh longest book. How did I have this wrong? This is in like the bottom half. Get ready to die. What's the longest? Uh, Shadow, Shadow Rising. Rising. And, and how long is Shadow Rising? 393,000 words. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but the I whole have... series is like four million. I'm fine. <laughs> You're fine. This isn't that outside your, you know. I could read a fan fiction in one day that length. Actually, no, two days, to be real, because I do have to sleep. For this length of the book? For, for, for an individual book, the, the, the longest that you mentioned, I've read, I don't know, 700,000 ones. 
in two days because reasonable human things. Yeah. Well, you also have to exist. Do I? Do I really? Weren't we going to talk about a book or something? Yeah. We can cut Tyler. this out if it's annoying. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we all got sidetracked staring at numbers. So Tyler, what chapters are we reading? Uh, we are reading chapters 41 through, oh god, is it 53? Yep. The end. Lord. Well, then let's get into it, because this is going to be thick. <laughs> With like three C's. Oh god, it's going to be four. There's, <laughs> I got a lot of quotes I pulled out. Chapter 41 is Old Friends and New Threats. So, when last we left Rand, he was running through the city, away from Elida, and back to the Queen's Blessing. So, he gets back and he finds Master Gill, who is in the library with Loyal, and he's like telling the story uh, about going to the palace and meeting Elaine and Gawain and meeting Morgaze. And Gil is like becoming more and more. He like starts off not believing Rand at all, but then over time he becomes more like, Oh God, he's telling the truth. And I don't know. I think it's kind of fun. Yeah. It's one of my uh, favorite fantasy tropes is the character retelling their adventures to other people to reframe exactly how unbelievable it is. Yeah. It's fun. It's always kind of cathartic. Yeah. So Gil is like, okay, you're going to need to get out of the city. This is not going to work out. Elida's going to come for you. And he says, I will pay for a healer to come and look at Matt and get him well enough to ride. I will give you horses. I will give you supplies. You got to go. This isn't just for my benefit and my safety. This is like she's going to put you in prison if she catches you here. Loyal says, hey, if you're on your way out, I'm coming with. He's a good friend. Loyal, even. <laughs> Beautiful wordplay. So talented. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so Rand and Gil leave the library, and there's some white cloaks in the common room. This is just a small little thing. It doesn't like affect anything. I just really like that Gil stands up to them, and the way that it describes like every single person in the inn stands up. And as Gil continues to stand up, they all, like, draw their weapons. And the guy in front of the White Cloaks just doesn't see any of it. He just, like, is totally blocking it out. And all the rest of them are, like, tapping him on the shoulder. Like, guy, we gotta go. It's just a fun little moment. Yeah, there may be some, uh, Tavarin happening here. Who would have thought I had it in me to be a hero? Well, you have a Tavarin right in your inn. Yeah, well, two of them. Yeah. So at this point, a serving girl, God, I felt dirty typing that out, but that's how it <laughs> describes her. A serving girl comes by and informs Rand and Gil that there is a capital L lady there asking for Rand and Matt by name. Um, and I have a little quote here. Lad, Master Gil said, if you've actually managed to bring the Lady Elaine down from the palace to my inn, we'll all end up facing the headsman. He thinks Rand is a Chad. <laughs> he knows the truth. 
Rand is like, wait, I didn't tell Elaine about Matt. So if it's her, she can't be asking about Matt, which means uh, he runs into the kitchen and finds everybody there. I'm going to cut you all off from talking with another quote. Rand threw open the door to the kitchens, and there they were. Moraine rested her serene eyes on him, unsurprised. Nenev and Egwene ran laughing to throw their arms around him, with Perrin crowding in behind them, all three patting his shoulders as if they had to be convinced he was really there. In the doorway leading to the stable yard, Lan lounged with one boot up on the doorframe, dividing his attention between the kitchen and the yard outside. It's just, like, it's so cathartic to finally... Yeah. Thank the light that we're done with this being separated stuff. Yeah. I I have to admit I didn't really mind the separated stuff because I liked seeing their different perspectives. But I suppose, again, this is a pacing thing and this is book one of 14. So it is a really long time to spend on that. I don't know. I I guess I enjoyed the uh, point of view ones. And I don't want you to worry. Even though they are back together, we will get point of views that aren't Rand's. Okay. Just not in this book. Just a not lot in of this them. One. Yeah, there's, I don't even know how many. Yeah, as I said, when I was first reading, I thought this was going to be a thing where they wouldn't see each other again for like 10 books. So I was pleasantly surprised on my first time reading. Yeah, they weren't abandoned to come yeah. together later after Journeys Alone. Yeah, that was I mean, pretty much what I was expecting. They had Journeys Alone. Ish. Like a single journey. Journey singular. So Moraine sends Rand and everyone except Moraine and Lan upstairs to go check on Matt because Rand is like, Matt's, well, he's not sick exactly. I think it's those exact words. As they're going up, he tells them that Tom is almost certainly dead. And we get the last Matt moment of the book, like capital M. Matt moment. It's uh, really bad. Well, this is the end of him being like, horrible, but it's yeah. definitely not the end of him being stupid. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I no, have some notes just later in these chapters of him being so, so, so dumb. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, what he does here, pretty much this is transforming from him being Gollum into him being the girl from The Exorcist. Yeah. Uh, So let me read this whole quote. It's a big one. Pretty Nenave, Matt spat. A wisdom isn't supposed to think of herself as a woman, is she? Not a pretty woman. But you do, don't you? Now. You can't make yourself forget that you're a pretty woman now, and it frightens you. Everybody changes. Pretty Egwene, pretty as Nenave, and you share other things now, don't you? Other dreams. What do you dream about now? Egwene took a step back from the bed. We are safe from the Dark One's eyes for the time being, Moraine announced as she walked into the room with Lan at her heels. Her eyes fell on Matt as she stepped through the doorway, and she hissed as if she had touched a hot stove. Get away from him! I know this is super serious, but at this point all I was thinking was that vine where the kid is there and the mom and the mom's like what are you holding and the kid says a, a knife, knife! <laughs> no 
That's all. I mean, I know it's supposed to be very serious. He is holding a knife. Oh no. Yeah, he's literally. Yes. Yeah. So I, I just that that that's what that made me. Oh think god, of. it's so appropriate. So I know it's supposed to be serious and moving, and finally we know why Matt's being awful. Well, we knew. Just Matt didn't know. Yeah. Matt yeah. was like, "This is normal behavior. Get away from me." I'm just going through puberty. Um, dagger puberty. Dagger puberty. Uh, so that's 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 what that scene did for me, and um, my sense of humor taking serious moments and then not letting them be serious. I mean, Matt's just being nutty. Yeah, that's our Matt. <laughs> so, Moraine decides, hey, everybody needs to not be near Matt right now. She, like, grabs Nanave by the shoulder and throws her across the room away from him. Yeah, because she was touching them. Yeah. After she said, get away, Matt tries to shove the knife into Moraine and Lan, like, nothing personnel kids his way across the room and grabs Matt's wrist. Yeah. Rand says something about saying how it seemed like Lan didn't bother with the intervening space. Yeah. Which is pretty badass. Lan continues to be the coolest guy. I hope I grow up to be Lan. <laughs> so Tyshar Malkir. Spoilers for the next few chapters. Uh, so Moraine is asking Rand why Matt has the knife, and Rand gives her the he didn't give us anything, we took it answer. And Moraine, I think she thinks about killing him. <laughs> I mean, I would too, though. This kid that you're supposed to protect, he couldn't maintain his idiot friend for a brief moment and thinks that's fine. Yeah, they were apart for like two weeks, maybe three. Yeah. And Matt may have destroyed the world. By yeah. taking the knife out of Shadow Logos? Mm-hmm. But it's shiny. But it's ruby-hilted. Did you hear about this dagger? It has a ruby in its hilt. It makes me feel rich. <laughs> um, so they're talking about leaving, and Lan says, no, we can't. There are hundreds of Trollocs outside the city. And those are those weird shapes everyone's been talking about. Yeah, and that there are... So many Merdral that they're going to attack the city to take Rand and Matt. Because the dagger is so evil that anything that is also evil, like Dark One evil, can just sense it. Like the existence of the dagger is profane. So it's mm. the ring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This also comes up later in a really obvious way. Yeah. Maybe don't bring Matt to the eye of the world. Really makes you thinking, Emoji. So Moraine tells everybody that they need to leave. This is, you can't be here while I'm healing Matt. And I was just so happy the first time, I guess, when I reread this. Because I didn't remember, I thought this subplot lasted until book three when the thing happens. I was so happy that it was done now. The worst is over. Yes. So, chapter 42. It's Remembrance of Dreams. Rand takes everybody to the library. And they're all really sad because Matt is evil now. 
and Rand like walks in and sits down and then realizes, wait, nobody knew Loyal was here. And Loyal is just laying on the couch being adorable. Yeah. As like a cat laid on his stomach. There's also a weird amount of cat talk in these chapters. Yeah. Is this to show how so much of a good soft boy he is? Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, I don't mind the animal explanations. I get excited whenever I see that there's an animal, but... Um... Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, like, sprawled in front of the fire. I misread it the first time and missed the part about him being on a couch, so I was imagining him <laughs> laying <laughs> stomach down on the rug in front of the fire oh with, like, his oh, legs kicking behind like him, kicking reading. behind him. Yeah. <laughs> Just thinking about Tavaran adventures. <laughs> so that made me think of him being adorable. More to be like flopped, like starfish style, in front of a like the fire. That's how I saw it. <laughs> but I, I do appreciate how none of us thought there was a couch at first. Just you know, lounging. Well, when I think about him being flopped, I think about like an armchair, and his butt is in the armchair, but he's turned horizontal, so like his knees are over the edge, and his head is back over the other side. But he's also ten feet tall. So, he's so like, his big. feet are on the floor, and he's just not sized appropriately for the room. Uh, so, I have our first on-air correction. I got something wrong. Your first? On-air. So, the stump that Loyal avoided to come outside was it would have been at least 13 years not 10 which makes it even more surprising and when i read that i had the thought hmm a race of large creatures that holds long meetings to discuss oh, things yeah <laughs> i have no idea what that could be that speaks to the trees yeah sings to the trees even hmm. wow i hadn't made that connection myself actually well, I didn't until the, I guess, third reading. Yeah. Also, there was a quote describing Loyal that reminded me of a certain Robert Jordan. Loyal liked to talk, and talk at length when he had the slightest chance, though he usually seemed to think that a story needed two or three hundred years of background <laughs> to make it understood. Is this self-awareness? <laughs> Maybe this is just like a therapy project for Jordan. Maybe he was just supposed to write a book with a character that was like him. And so he wrote Loyal. Yeah. I mean, usually the self-insert character is like some kind of writer. So that's Loyal. Oh, my God. Also, the way you to talk as if this book is pretty different than the other ones. This could literally be a fan fiction of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That he, he just was like, wait, enough has changed. It's original. <laughs> original yeah, content, do not steal. Yeah, the way I've heard it is that he felt the need to make it familiar to get it published. So. That's understandable. So what we can all agree on is that Robert Jordan is an ent. Uh, back to the plot. <laughs> so Matt comes into the room with Moraine and Lan behind him. And he has this great... It's another quote. I, uh, that is... He took a deep breath. 
it uh it seems I've been acting uh sort of oddly. I don't remember much of it really. Everything is hazy after Whitebridge. Tom and the he shivered and hurried on. The further from Whitebridge, the hazier it gets. I don't really remember anything in Camelin at all. He eyed Loyal askance. Not really. Moraine Sedai says I... Upstairs. I... Uh... He grinned, and suddenly he truly was the old Matt. You can't hold <sighs> a man to blame for what he does when he's crazy, can you? You always were crazy, Perrin said, and for a moment he, too, sounded as of old. It's so nice. <sighs> this is like maybe the last time in the entire series where these three are happy in a room together. As Matt is being welcomed back, Moraine reveals that he still has the dagger, that it can't be removed from his person without harming him, and that uh, that will need to be broken in Tarvalon. I sure hope nothing removes the dagger from Matt's person, because that would harm him. Well, it just seems the fact that he still has it on him, there's a chance of him relapsing, probably for a plot point. The way that I understood this is that Moraine, like, removed all of the taint that the dagger had placed on Matt, and she had made it so that when it comes back to him, it will at least come back very slowly. But it's still evil and calling everybody to them. Yes. It's just no longer specifically making him its parasite host. It is just very slowly. Okay. Yeah, so that's the idea, is like, it's going to reinfect him, so they still have to get him to Tarvalon, they just don't have to do it right this second. Tidy little narrative structure. Yeah, instead we have to go to the eye of the world. So, Moraine and Loyal meet with Moraine mentioning that there are about 20 members of the Red Aja in the city because of Loghain. And Loyal seems to understand completely why that's a bad thing. Uh, I have a note here to ask Bion, what do you think the Red Aja is? Because they keep talking about Ajas and how bad the Red One is. Yeah, uh, they they mentioned Ajas previously when talking about Aes Sedai. Yes. So... Magic people, but slightly different exotic magic people that are probably color-coded for uh, spiritual significance, whether that's elemental spiritual significance or something else, who knows. And uh, red, you know, it's passionate, bloody, dangerous, etc. The only thing more potentially dramatic than red, Aja could be black asha uh, in my opinion at least are you just guessing or are you picking up that they say that later <laughs> well i mean if we're going with the themes it's kind of a no duh scenario it's not like you're gonna be like the pastel purple asha the lavender asha sadly there is no purple asha too afraid of the gaze i guess so i was just curious what you were thinking of it um it just seemed kind of like a oh Another antagonist. Just um, think about the idea that all of the Aes Sedai that went to capture and gentle Loghain were all Red Aja. So that sort of tells you about who they are. Are they like the White Cloaks of the Magic People? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> kind of, yeah. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't have thought to phrase it that way, but if that's how you want to think about it until you know more, then that's not that far off. Cool. They're essentially like the most zealous of the Aes Sedai, I would say. Yeah, they're white cloaks. But, Pretty much. But different. Are you saying that everyone that disagrees with you is a white cloak? Are you a dark friend? Typical blue Aja propaganda. Are there actually blue Aja? Marine yeah. blue Aja. There's like seven Ajas. Okay. Does does that align with the elements then, or is that um You'll understand when you're uh, older. Or is it like literally a chakra thing with the, the points in the body? It's like a mindset. Oh, okay. So are are they tied to emotion then? Like red is the passion and blue is the I'm a cool lady who does awesome magic and sometimes become giant. I mean, do you want to just know the answer, or do you want to find it out in text? I'll find it out in text. It's my job, right, to ask these questions? Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, we see it pretty early in the second book. A lot of it gets explained more. Elida was Red Asha. Ah. Yeah. Okay. So, Loyal is rambling about teaching the Tinkers to sing, capital S, to the trees, but that it didn't really work, and it wasn't the capital S song they were looking for. Moraine hurries him along in the story, and he starts asking a question about the Eye of the World, the location, not the book, and this triggers something in Moraine's mind, and also finally convinces the three boys to talk about their dreams. Finally. Wow. Not like their hopes and dreams, but like their <laughs> Satan dreams. <laughs> but uh, Rand still decides to lie, partially. Yeah. Rand makes some bad decisions. Is is that a lot of the books? Except it rotates between Rand, Matt, and Perrin? Mostly Rand and Matt. Yeah, because Perrin, as long as he doesn't become a full-on werewolf, I think we're going to be okay. Does he become a full-on werewolf? Let's mark down the speculation. <laughs> <laughs> so they explain the dreams that they've been having, and she is unimpressed with them for keeping the <laughs> dreams to themselves. She She's mentioned like, I, I literally told you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised she doesn't box their ears or something. Yeah, for being a bunch of flaming woolheads. It would be justified. Uh so she mentioned something called a dream walker, capital, capital. D. Capital Dreamwalker. That was a bit... In, well, I know why it's called a Dreamwalker, because it's walking in dreams. But a, a lot of different cultures have a significant myth, etc., of Dreamwalker and people who control dreams and sleep and the spiritual aspect of existing. And for a little bit, I was wondering if it might go on that end. But otherwise, it kind of just seems like a fancier magic person. It's a bit of both. Or a, a, a skill, or is it talents? Is that the word that you've been using? It is a capital T talent. It is a capital T talent. Yes, it seems like that, as opposed to mythical god, goddess, goddess style dynamic. Mm-hmm. It was kind of nice to see a new capital word, though. Well, you're about to There's get a few. There's so many. <laughs> uh, she lists off some of the Forsaken. Agenor? Lanfear, Balthamel, Demondred, and Ishmael, the Betrayer of Hope. 
it's not Ishmael. What? It's Ishmael. Don't do this. No, 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 no. Not again. Not I again, was wondering again. because no, Ishmael no, no. is a significant name in its own meaning, so I was wondering about that. Ishamael. Tyler Edmondsfield. <laughs> no. Tyler Ishmael. <laughs> Tyler, my first mistake on air. <laughs> Really, my first mistake on air. My first mistake was being born. (laughs) (laughs) How does this keep happening? Is it every time I try to say a name? The more confident you sound, the more wrong you are. Oh no. Who's the betrayer of hope now? Um, (laughs) I don't want to live. (laughs) These uh, names, I... I'm going to go veins of gold on this podcast. That is unnecessary, sir. With the name choices, I think if I had somehow piles of time, I'd love to look at the root words of all these names because they probably have significance to what the character is, even if it's just mentioned once. Because with Agnor, Agony, Land Fear, Fear... Fear of the land. <laughs> How apt. Uh, Balthamel, which makes me just think of, interestingly, both Bethlehem and Beelzebub. Uh, Demandred, demanding, and not Ishmael, betrayer of hope, but it, they, 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 they all just had a, a feeling to them that, that evokes spooky yeah. or powerful, fantastic I, in that way. I actually wanted to bring that up. That they are all extremely different. Like, there's a lot of them. Well, I mean, even just the names, some of them are, yeah, like Ishamael. Is that, uh, that one is clearly, I mean, it sounds similar to Ishmael. You've got stuff like a Balthamel, which is clearly like biblical. Yeah, I was going to say. Old Testament demon kind of name. Yeah, Agenor sounds like a fantasy name, as does Lanfear, but Lanfear is at least closer to, I mean, not the fear part, but it at least almost sounds like a real name. They're so scattered in, like, their thematics of the name. I really appreciate that this gives the idea that, I mean, we learn more about the background of the Forsaken later. But they are the ones who, they're the greatest ones who sided with the Dark One. And so it kind of makes sense that they all have these like crazy names that they decided to use. Because they're all a bunch of like self-absorbed <laughs> bad guys. Lord Voldemort. Yeah. Exactly. Xehanort, no hard X. Yeah, because who would follow Dark Lord? Tom. Who would follow Elan, the Betrayer of Hope, when you could follow Ishamael, the Betrayer okay. of Hope? At this rate, this is going to be a seven-hour-long episode. Sorry. Most <laughs> of the information is, like, right at the front and the back. We're going to clear through the middle pretty well. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say is, Bion, I yes. think if you were taking these notes yourself and then reread the book, you would pick up on this, so I feel fine saying it. Mm-hmm. 
They also called Elan at the beginning with Luz Theron, the Betrayer of Hope. Like, they are the same person. One and the same person. Yes. Okay, is it just different because of the district a person is from? Or not district, country, village? You can come up with your own answer. All that you get to know is that there was somebody in the Second Age titled The Betrayer of Hope who didn't like Luz Theron. And now there's Ishamael, the Betrayer of Hope. Is 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 that the, the group's Judas? Just your local friendly Judas? I guess we'll find <laughs> out. Okay. So Moraine tells them, we're not going to Tarvalon anymore. We're going to see the Green Man in the Eye of the World. Yeah. All capitals, the Green Man. Which is also a, a fantasy uh, character. Yes. Sort of incongruous with the rest of the series, in my opinion, but... Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've gotten to the part of the Shadow Rising where they justify it, but they at least try. Um, Does it fail? I don't know. I feel like it's a pretty solid... Like, as long as you have to retroactively justify it, I've seen worse. So, Moraine, yeah, she says, we have to go... I have the world, Green Man, which is in The Blight, and they have to get there through The Ways, both capitalized. Seems like the Green Man is choking in The Blight. And he's falling in the black. Yeah. Slipping through the cracks. (laughs) And Loyal says, we can't go, we'll all die if we try to take The Ways. Which brings us to chapter 43. Decisions and Apparitions. So, Loyal begins to tell them the story of the Ways. The Ogier that weren't scattered in the breaking of the world sheltered male Aesidae in their steadings from the madness, because when you're in a steading, you can't even feel the source. And as thanks for this before they left, these male Aesidae grew the Ways, which is like a parallel universe with doors to ours, and you can basically just cross as much space as you want in the ways. Unfortunately, because it was made by male Aesidae after the tainting of Sedine, it became evil. So Real the way dark and spooky. Yeah, they started out as like you're walking through the sky, it's bright and sunny, uh, every guiding post has soft grass and fruit. And now it's dark and something called Makinshin, the black wind, exists within. And if it eats you, you come out as like a soulless husk. Dementor. Yeah, it's very Dementor-like. Like one big Dementor. Yeah. So even knowing this story already, Moraine says we have to get to the Blight, which means that we have to go through the ways. It's the only ways. And everybody agrees. Egwene... God, I don't even remember why she gets jealous, but I have a note that says she does. I have the quote. Okay, please. (laughs) So Egwene is talking to Rand. She says, Who is Elaine? For a minute he stared at her, then told the simple truth. She's the daughter heir to the throne of Andor. 
Her eyes seemed to catch fire. If you can't be serious for more than a minute, Randolph Thor, I do not want to talk to you. There's a little comedy beat, but it's also just Egwene being very annoying. Also, Egwene, who, hey, who's Aram? I don't know. Maybe you yeah. should tell him about that, too. Well, she does later on. Only when Perrin forces her to. <laughs> so Rand decides to go to bed. It's the only thing you can do at this point. And he's back in another dream with Balzaman. So this dream is pretty heavy. Uh, there's three figures sitting on a table. It's him, Matt, and Perrin. And Baalzaman appears and tells Rand that they have had this battle and an infinite number of battles an infinite number of times before, but that this one is different. This will be their last battle. The Black Aja, hidden for 2,000 years, moves against him, and Rand has only two choices. Serve or die. And then serve. And then serve. <laughs> you can serve or die and then serve. Sort of a Jack 2 moment. So it's basically just whether or not you can claim superiority afterwards for at least putting an effort of resistance. Yes. Um, regarding the Black Aja, are they counted in the Seven? No. Because they've been hidden. They've been hidden for 2,000 years. Okay, so there are eight Ajas. Yes. Are there more than eight Ajas? No. I mean, <laughs> if you want to get, like, hyper-technical later, there's maybe 13? Okay. But not really. Because seven is a more magical number. And didn't you say something about the wheel having seven spokes? That's true. Yeah. Officially, there are seven Ajas. Yeah. That's okay. the company line. Yeah. There are seven Ajas. Return to your village. There <laughs> are only seven Ajas in Ba Sing Se. It's sort of one of those. Okay. So when he wakes up, Rand has a splinter in his hand from... Uh, was it from the door or from his little statue? That was a cool little statue. He should have taken it. His statue of himself? His spirit statue? Yeah. Yeah. Matt says that when he picked up his statue, suddenly his statue had his face on it. God, what a horror. Yeah. At least this time, Rand immediately shows Moraine, hey, I had a pain dream. Yeah. This is not the fun kind of dream. <laughs> I don't want to play. I want to get off Mr. Balsamon's wild ride. <laughs> and that ends the chapter. We get to chapter 44, The Dark Along the Ways. God, it was nice to just sort of skim the entire first two-thirds of this chapter, because nothing of value happens. Yeah, it spent like 20 pages just walking through Camelin with nothing happening. Yeah, I mean, we get, it's like- This is pretty full. egregious. Yeah, we get information about what Camelin is like when no one is in it, and it's dark, and you can't see anything. So, that's useful to know. It just seemed awfully- clean for a medieval village if but, it, but, it's a, but it's a fantasy medieval village so we're okay it's a city so they have lots and lots of cats keeping everything clean they mentioned that like five times which is interesting because cats actually carry some bad stuff with them like really bad make you at go at least they're not spies of the dark one yeah ah i see yes the cats can eat the 
scary dark ravens. I feel like if you wanted to set a D&D game in the moraine terrain, you would have some really great background on how. <laughs> you would have 14 books of background. You would have 14 books. You would have every story needs 200 years of background information. So eventually they come to a basement. They just break in. Yeah, Moraine taps a lock with her staff and it becomes unlocked. And she's she, definitely not Gandalf. She weaves earth to unlock it, as we will find out later. Isn't earth masculine in this? Yeah, but you're not like cut off from it. Okay. You're just. Not- it's just not your strongest. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering about that being when she did the uh, earth wall. Several chapters back, but um, I just didn't mention at the time. Okay, continue. Thank you. And they find a stone door sealed with a leaf of Avendasora, the Tree of Life. The Tree of Life is also significant in a bunch of different mythological, spiritual, religious significance. Wow, sounds like it survived through the turnings of two ages. So... Moraine, is she the one that does the leaf? I don't remember. It also does. Okay. Uh, So when the door opens, it's like a pane of shimmering glass, like a mirror. And when you go through, uh, Rand says it's shocking, like jumping into cold water. And then on the other side, it's completely black. And the only light that exists is... What you have, which is itself, like, artificially constrained by the darkness. Spoopy. Yeah, big spooks. So, Loyal is pointing out the right paths, guiding them with the stones. There's, like, these big obelisks. The group makes their way over pathways and bridges until they reach an obelisk, which leads them down a path that is broken and they all are big spooked. Yeah, there was a moment that I liked in this where they go to one waypoint, pick a path, and then it spirals upwards and then leads to another waypoint and Rand's like, this island can't be right on top of the other one. Nah, can't be. And you poor fool. Yeah. Time is convoluted in the ways. Also, there's another weird Jordanism that I've picked up about people licking the last of crumbs of bread yeah. and cheese from their fingers. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Mm, Everyone crumbs. does it. <laughs> I don't know what kind of cheese they're eating that leaves crumbs on your fingers. Dusty cheese. Mm. Dusty, dusty cheese. Oh my god, cheese. do you think they're just eating Cheetos? <laughs> Bread and that's, cheese. That's what the the licking makes you think of. Unless they're eating something like a brie or a soft cheese, but that would go bad pretty quick in relation to other hard cheeses. We only eat the hardest cheese here. Well, well no, it's just because... Um, it's road cheese. <laughs> oh no! That's awful. I don't want to eat that. Nobody wants that. Um... <laughs> Sounds like you got a bad infection of road cheese. You're gonna want to see wisdom about that. But it's it's uh if if you really wanted to analyze more and add to your two hundred 
page backstory. Uh, they, they do mention, um, fruits and vegetables that exist in our world too, like apricots, plums, and stuff like that. So that gives you more hint about visually what this world would potentially be like, depending on whether or not those fruits are local, uh, to the area or are, uh, brought by shipments and whatnot. Every time you speak, spoilers almost tumble out of my mouth. Well, look at me being a good reader, then. Noticing these things. This brings us to chapter 45, What Follows in Shadow. Moraine gets them back on track, both literally and emotionally. She convinces everyone to stop crying. (laughs) They're, like, all standing crying in a circle. And Moraine is like, come on, everybody. Let's go. Uh, The mom. Yeah. She's hurting all of these idiots. They should be on a child chain. Yeah, seriously. All chained to each other. If Matt had been on a child chain, he couldn't have (laughs) taken the dagger. See? Yeah. It's a good point. Uh, So Rand and Loyal have a little bonding moment. And everybody stops. They eventually stop for the night. Uh, we get a little group discussion. Yeah. Egwene tries to shame Rand for having a conversation with men. And then yeah. Perrin calls her out for having a traveling folk boyfriend. Yeah. This is a hashtag call out. <laughs> uh, it just, it's, it's, it's some um, het jealousy nonsense. Yeah. And then also Wayne's like 15, I guess. Yeah. Matt comes back at uh, Rand with, wasn't there that girl you were going to settle down with? <laughs> and Egwene like wakes up and turns her head 180 degrees <laughs> to look at Rand. Oh, well. Yeah. She's like, oh, well, what's this? In all seriousness, there is some talk about how, uh, the taint is so strong in the ways that anything that Moraine wove with Sadar would become evil. Is uh, this an instant evil thing, or is it a slow build evil? I think it's like a slow evil. Okay. It's not like... Molasses evil. Yeah. Like she wouldn't want to just be casting wards willy-nilly. Yeah. Because mm. they might start drawing people that are good or something. So they lay down to sleep, and nobody can. Uh, there's a sentence in here about Rand. He's, like, laying on one side, and when he opens his eyes, Matt is sitting there staring at him because he can't sleep. So Rand turns over to the other side, and Perrin is also staring at Rand. Can't sleep. And so Moraine comes around and... Sounds like a fan him. fiction. Yeah, seriously. Beyond. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, cave scenes where uh, <laughs> oh, no. characters are stuck, and you know, there's so many. Oh, really? A scene where two characters are stuck in the same location? Maybe they need to huddle together for warmth against the snowstorm. Or talk about their deep emotional fears. Have hmm. some hurt and comfort. Interesting. Some angst. Maybe this builds bonds between two characters that don't especially like each other. 
I think Moraine's talk about to Rand is I don't even remember what it is. I just remember it being like quietly cool. And Rand You're has... important to the pattern, baby. <laughs> oh god. Is she coming on to him? <laughs> Isn't she like fifty years old? She is ageless. That's true. I know how old she is. Rand has the thought, that won't help me sleep. That was just some words. And then he immediately falls asleep. I won't fall asleep. Yeah. Sleeps. I'm staying up all night. So when they wake up, we learn a couple things. Lan says that there's someone else in the ways following them and matt immediately starts firing arrows into the darkness yeah just like i cast arrow at the darkness (laughs) so so dumb yeah and that one didn't get many survival instincts no well maybe he just ignores them well side note perrin is a wolf boy that's true rand is potentially not my father, Tam, blah, 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 is is mysteriously from somewhere else. Tam McThor. Tam McThor, yes. Tom, Tam, Althor. Yes. So he's secret heritage, not of the two rivers? And so, uh, what is Matt? He'll find out. Okay. He's a dagger boy. He's a good <laughs> dagger boy, in more ways than one. He actually becomes... I don't think he has his thing until, like, book four. Aren't you looking forward to it? He's not huh? allowed to grow until then. Get it? Forward? Book four. That was terrible. So, Trollocs have found a way into the ways, which is also how they got to the two rivers, and nearby to Camelin without being noticed. Mark that one off the list. So they're intelligent-ish? Ish. Or there's something intelligent forcing them to do things. Yeah. The Merdral are fairly intelligent. Okay. Trollocs are not. Okay. So Rand hears a very slight wind off in the distance, and he's like, I thought there was no wind. Uh, so everybody starts, like, sprinting to the waygate, trying to outrun Makin Chin. Moraine uses some sort of fire that's tainted by the ways, like a bar of white fire, to burn the door open, and they all barely escape before Makinshin takes them. And it speaks to them once they're outside. It's like pressing against the inside of the waygate and talking about stripping their flesh from their bones and drinking their blood and how sweet their screams will be. Sweet whispered nothings. Yeah. Um, there was a line here that I wanted to pull out. Something where Egwene is like holding on to Rand and he said, it was easier to be brave, he discovered, when someone needed your protection. Which is like, eh, it's an okay line. But this brings up something that I want to think about going into the end of this book, which is, is this book about anything? Are there <laughs> themes? Is there something to take away from it? Because we get a pretty weird abstract climax at the end of the book. And I feel like Brandon Sanderson sort of has it down to a science where if you have a abstract magical ending, it needs to at least be thematically resonant for it to matter to the audience at all. And are there themes? I don't know. <laughs> I will say that like, if this first book was conceived as part of a series, knowing where the series ends up, then this book isn't part of... It doesn't... <laughs> 
mean anything, but it is part of something that does mean something. Because Brandon Sanderson wrote the ending. Well, when you put it that way. <laughs> a little bit of a fixer-upper. Yeah. For real, though. Yeah. Um, so that's the end of the chapter. They're out of the way gate, the door is shut, uh, Egwene and Nave are crying, and they're in, well, not in, but they're around, Faldara. Chapter 46 is called Faldara. So the group is making their way through this unfamiliar wilderness. It doesn't look like they're trees or land that they're used to. There's this part where Perrin sees something off in the distance that, like, a scythe doesn't have enough rust on it to have been left outside for very long. And the women see curtains in the window, which means that the curtains have to have been put up recently. So the people have to have lived on this abandoned farm fairly recently. That's spookier than it being completely ancient. Yeah, it's just kind of weird. Yeah, there's also a moment where Matt is amazed that the knave calls them men instead of boys. Yes, and boys it, to men. Is this the point of the book? Is this a coming of age story? Tell me. <laughs> I well, mean, that- it's like a hero's journey, except it's three boys and a pack of people. So it's three times the journey, statistically speaking. Three hundred percent. It it's as 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 you said. What is the point of this story? If if it didn't have a resounding theme or point, then at least you'd hope that the character development drove something. And if there wasn't a plot continuance movement, there'd be a development of a human being or other sentient creature, like a baby. <laughs> no, like um, a, a character o- overcoming a flaw or something oh. like that. Uh, redemption, failure, something, something regarding that. But it doesn't feel active enough. Yeah, and, not even close. And I, I, I feel some of the characters could potentially be cool if you explored them more. But right now, it's a uh... well strap in. <laughs> well, I know I have so many books to look forward to. Yeah, we're going to explore these characters. So they get to the city of Faldara, and I guess it's just a town. And the area around it is clear cut for like a full mile so that they can see anything coming. It's like Princess Mononoke. Kind of, yeah. Although, yeah, kind of. It's described as being more like a fortress than like a place that people live. Uh, as soon as they approach the gates, the guards are calling out to Lan, calling him Daishan, and asking about the Golden Crane. But Is Lan vaguely Asian-inspired? The Borderlands are Asian, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, also, refer to casting. Yeah, also refer to casting. Yeah, which is beautiful man. But I was just wondering, because Daishan and Golden Crane, I was, oh, Asian. And they also have top knots. Yeah. Yeah. So, they are greeted by this guy named Ingtar, who brings them to the main fortress. 
where the Lord lives, whose name is Agelmar. Agelmar? Agelmar? Angel Man. (laughs) Angel Man's fine. Angel Man. So, Angel Man lives there, and he's the Lord of Faldara. So, Moraine is saying, all we need is, we need to sleep one night, we need some horses, we need some food. And Angel Man says, well, wait, but I thought you and Lan were here to fight. Like, that's why... In Tarwin's Gap. Yeah. I thought you were going to help us. You know, in Tarwin's Gap. There's talk in here about Lan being the lord of a broken place called Malkir. And that him being part of the fight would bring more fighters to join them. Which would be useful. Lan, last of his name. Yes. Sorry, do you mean Al Lan Mandragoran? So Rand realizes that Angel Man is thinking that Nenev and Egwene are going to be engaging in whatever battle Moraine is talking about with the Dark One because of the capital P power, and he starts shaking. I have it in my notes that Rand has figured out that he is able to channel, but I guess I don't know for sure that that's it. That's kind of like how I interpreted this on the third read. Maybe it's just the way that that specific line is phrased in the book, but it almost sounds like he's shaking because he's like, the people that need to be involved in this fight can channel, and I'm going to be involved in this fight, and less like, the fight is going to involve the power, and that is scary by itself. But maybe I'm totally wrong. Well, Agelmar... Uh, excuse me, use his proper name. An angel man. (laughs) Uh... When Moraine tells Agelmar that these boys are the ones to fight the final battle, Agelmar makes the assumption that they all can channel, and he's pretty shook by it. Uh, so that might be what you're thinking of. Maybe. Well, I mean, if it's known that only ladies can channel without going crazy, and super powerful, awesome lady with two younger ladies. That's kind of a, well, of course, you're here to fight, and you've brought your apprentices or whatever. Yeah, that's the assumption he makes. Some accepted, maybe. But then Moraine essentially explains that they're important because they're Tavarin, and them being Tavarin, it's what's going to help them find the Eye of the World. Yeah, because I don't know if you've heard, but the Eye of the World can only be found by those in need, and she has great need. I need it. Father, I crave the eye of the world. (laughs) I don't need it. I don't need it. I definitely don't need it. Okay, so... And then they receive news of a crazy person trying to climb the walls of the city. Yeah, one Padden Fane. He's a peddler. He just wants to sell his wares. Uh... Buy some apples. Yeah, buy some apples. He's been following them this whole time. He was the one in the ways, and now he's, when he's brought to them, he's talking about, I want to repent, I want to be better, I want this guy out of my head, this guy being, you know, Satan. And 
I just generally want to... No one is so far in the shadow that they cannot, again, walk in the light. And then Marines, like, throw them in prison. Yeah. Marines, like, no you, go to prison. I mean, it's just super suspicious because he's such a minor character, you've basically forgotten about him. And then, ta-da! Twas I, Patton Fane, the peddler. It was me all along. I mean, I think that's actually a decent plot twist. It, in the next chapter, it, the Moraine explains Patton Fane's whole story, which elucidates some things that we thought were kind of weird before. Yeah, it turns out Patton Fane's had a hard life. Because you had a bad day. Had a bad three years. <laughs> bad 40 years. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to chapter 47. More Tales of the Wheel. God, it's just a lot of two people talking. Yeah, this bored me to tears. But we get more information about Al Lan Mandragoran. There's so many names and so little I care about. I didn't understand it the first time I read it. Oh, and yeah, me neither. Not even just like the first time, but like the first time that I was rereading it. I just totally didn't. I had to sit there last night when I was doing notes and try and parse like, okay, wait, in what order did things happen? What characters are involved? Beyond, did you have the same kind of reaction to this long story? Um. Well, as you know, I tend to read fast and so I skim... But yeah. what I've been doing for the past three uh, podcasts is after reading it, I'll essentially, uh, there, there's a wiki that does summaries of all these chapters. Oh. And so um, after I read the chapters, um, I'll just review on that just to make sure I didn't miss anything. Hopefully you're not clicking the links. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not going to come up in audio, but as soon as Beyonce said the word wiki, my head snapped around because I thought you were going to say there's this wiki and I just look at the characters that I didn't know what happened. No, 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 no. It's um just for summaries because, uh, for example, the first time I read, I didn't realize, at, to begin with at least, the two travels on the road were father and child. As opposed to uh, two bros, so yeah, there's very detailed pages on every chapter. So, so while they wait for Moraine to get back from interrogating Patton Fane, Egwene asks Angel Man about Malkir, and she wants a history lesson. Okay, so are the we kid- actually going to talk about the history lesson? Only because it is relevant, like ten books from now. Can we just say Lan is Aragorn and be done with it? Lan is Aragorn. Okay, I guess I'll just point back to this section when it becomes relevant. Lan's tragic backstory. Um, I will that read. makes Nynaeve sad and in love. Yes. It's very Everybody tragic. loves a sad boy. And he is the saddest boy. I will read the oath that they swore yeah. in Lan's name. To stand against the shadow so long as iron is hard and stone abides. To defend the Malkieri while one drop of blood remains. To avenge what cannot be defended. Yeah, that's the good good stuff right there. Yeah. This is what I'm talking about. Like, every time Jordan has to write something grandiose like that, it's good. It's peak, Jordan. 
actually loyal talking about how every story needs 200 years of backstory might be Pete Jordan now that I think about it. Anyway, Moraine gets back from interrogating Fane. And he feels real dirty. Yeah, he's been a very naughty boy. <laughs> uh, he's been serving the Dark One for a long time. And he's had a bad few months. I'm not going to read it all, but suffice it to say, it doesn't sound fun. Yeah, I think the most important note is that he is being forcibly compelled every moment to pursue the boys. Yeah, and also that Baal did something so he can sense where the boys are. He was, like, randomly looking up at the ceiling in the direction of the room that the boys are all in during the interrogation. That's uncomfortable. Yeah, Rand feels uncomfortable thinking about it. Yeah, he's like, this is a subpar situation, boys. So that finishes out the chapter. Chapter 48 is called The Blight. So the next morning, the group heads off being led by Ingtar. Yeah, and Ingtar is real mad that he had to miss the Battle of Tarwin's Gap to escort the party to the border and then go no further. Yeah. And then Nanave asks, are you truly that eager to fight Trollocs? Ingtar gave her a puzzled look, then glanced at Lan as if the warder might explain. That is what I do, lady, he said slowly. That is why I am. So, is this book about anything yet? <laughs> uh, is this what the book's about? You'll be okay. <laughs> I am a man who fights. He does it's a big what fight. I am. It's why I am. So, once they're in the blight, everything is very bad. <laughs> Real gross. Yeah, all the leaves are poison, all the bugs are venomous, there's horrors in the shadows, the trees are full of some sort of horrible sap that wants to kill you, and the worst of it is, it's humid. <laughs> Not poisonous, just humid. And yet Matt still wants to stick his head in the first lake he sees. Yeah, uh, he... <laughs> It's like, I sure, I'd stick my head in that lake. And then it turns out that the lake is full of evil. There's like Tentacles with human hands. Yeah, horrible tentacles with human hands. And is that just hands with really long wrists then? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, with, with, with the whole tentacle hands, um, that's just really long wrists. Is a tentacle just a wrist? Well, I thought of it as, like, octopus tentacles, but instead of suckers, there's, like, hands growing out of it. Oh. I guess when I was thinking of tentacles, I was thinking of, you know, the way that Japan has made us love and appreciate tentacles. And, um, the, just the end of the tentacles being hands, in which case it's just an arm. Tentacles come in all sorts of beautiful shapes and sizes. <laughs> Do y'all like your wrists with or without the bone in? <laughs> anyway... This part sucks. Sucks in the way where it's bad and evil, not sucks in the way where it's unfun to read. Uh, it was a little unfun to read for me. I mean, it was a little unfun to read, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't that bad. It wasn't bad enough that I would say it sucks. Is the blight an active thing by the darkness, or is it a side effect of I the darkness? I think it's actively evil. I think it's like the land being corrupted. And it spreads, because where they are right now is where Malkir used to be. Yeah. 
so the reason why it's becoming even more of a thing and why Balthazar says this is the last time is because the blight will just consume everything this cycle. No, I think it's, well, I mean... Dramatic tension. Yeah, but that's... It's not really... The blight is not what you need to be worried about for ending the world. Pretty much. Yeah. The blight is just an unfortunate symptom, side effect. Side effects may include... I think it's a side effect of the Dark One and all the Forsaken being bound in Sheol Ghoul. From the moment of creation. Yeah. Yeah, I think the idea is when there's no one to fight the Dark One at the border then the evil things can spread a little further, which means that the blight spreads a little further. Oh. It's not necessarily that the blight itself is the thing that is going to kill everyone. Okay. Yeah, they have to kill everyone that would be fighting against the evil things. The shadow spawn is the word. So, Rand is unable to sleep, and he overhears a conversation between Lan and the knave. They're discussing getting together, and... While Neneve insists that she is more than happy to just have Lan, he is very much not... Yeah, he's firm that he doesn't want her to marry someone who's just gonna die. Sadly, I did not pull out the very good quote that he says about that. Uh, I I have a very good quote and a very saccharine quote that made me want to vomit. Okay, please. (laughs) The good quote is... All I have is a sword and a war I cannot win, but can never stop fighting. So that's the good quote. Uh-huh. The bad one is, I will hate the man you choose because oh. he is not me, and love him if he makes you smile. No woman deserves the sure knowledge of a wood- of widow's black as her bride price, you least of all. <laughs> okay. Thanks, hetero everything. Um, this was ridiculous on many levels. One... She's still going to miss you and have romantic attachments to you, whether or not you die married or die mm-hmm. vaguely inching around each other, but not official. Plus, I'm not sure how her being a wisdom would affect this, and I don't know if wisdoms are supposed to be like celibate, vestal virgin style, magical, or um, just really cool ladies, but... In general, with how society's patriarchal things have been, it is valuable to have been married more so than to just be existing as a single person. So there's no reason to not marry her besides being afraid. But then he can't be as moody as he wants to be. Yeah, it's because it's, then the neighbor would box his ears. It's just nonsense. Yeah. Also, how old is he? He's like 50. And she's like mid to late 20s. So she I is think he's supposed like, to be like 40. Well, really? No, I think N- Lan is 40. Okay. The knave is mid to late 20s. Okay. Perhaps it's because it's from Rand's point of view, but I never really saw the knave as being much older than Egwene, like maybe just a couple years. Well, she's older than the boys. Yeah, I guess I just thought of her maybe being a 21 to the boys 17. And so that, that, I, I, I don't really love age gaps either. But if she's closer to 30, still not a fan, but there's, there's no reason why they can't get married. It's nonsense. What I don't love is the writing of this romance subplot. Unnecessary. 
it's sort of just romance by assumption. Like, these two people are near each other. Obviously, they're going to fall in love. She was a girl. He was a boy. Can I make it any more obvious? Any more obvious. Uh, At the beginning of the series, Moraine is 25 and Lan is 45. The knave is 25. Is that not what I said? You said said Moraine. I meant Nanave. Nanave is... 25 and Lan is 45. Does Lan also look ageless? Adonis? He looks like he's 45. But a fit 45. Think about like a hot 45 year old man. Ew. (laughs) Face carved from panes of stone. That's disgusting. Speaking of disgusting, this conversation. It ends with him walking away and her crying. That. And How dare he? Yeah. Rand is like, I bet she doesn't want me to watch her cry. So chapter 49 is called The Dark One Stirs. Dark One doesn't really stir in this chapter, actually. Kind of weird. So they're making their way north the next day. They go through some trees that are just incredibly evil. <laughs> <laughs> they're so evil. Lan keeps riding off to kill things in the forest, and something jumps out that Matt kills it with his bow, and it's just, like, a bunch of teeth and spikes and legs. That villain in, uh, Boku no Hero Academia. The teeth one. Rand hits some trees with his sword, which is... Yeah. Baseball bat. (laughs) Take that tree. I won't let Matt be the only one to get a kill. And Perrin's just being a good boy. I mean, he's probably also hitting trees with his axe. It's just not. Well, his axe isn't magical. Ah. Wait, the bow is magical? No, no, no. The sword is magical. Okay. Is it? I thought you told me it wasn't. I mean... Okay. Is it symbolic magical or... It's like made with magic. It has magical properties. Goblin forged. But it doesn't do anything. I mean, besides cut things. It's like so good, it's magic. It's it's magically created to be that good. Is it mithril? No, but not that far off. It like can't... It doesn't break. And it doesn't get less sharp. That's it. We find that out at the beginning of book two. Literally learn the lore. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm doing my best. Oh, I didn't mean you. <laughs> so suddenly, worms pop out behind them. And for some reason, they don't want to read a good book, so they start running away. Um, oh, I got that. Thanks. Um, I do realize maybe like 10,000 people have read Worm. Yeah, that just means it's still underground. Um, I don't get to be a hipster yet. I was definitely envisioning the worms like the spooky things from Dune. Yeah, basically, yeah. Are these worms different than of a dark friend because they can kill murdrolls? Well, they're dark spawn. Yeah, but yeah, they're like shadow spawn, which just means that they're evil. So they're not really conscious. No, I mean, they're just evil monsters. Okay. 
Yeah. Whereas mirror trolls are like intelligent people who decided to slender men themselves. Mirror well, no. are lawful evil. These beings are chaotic evil. Well, also, mirror aren't former humans, as far as I know. No. Humanoid? They're humanoid. Yeah. yeah. But they're well, not dark friends that got in too deep. They are another species. The sexy vampires of the series. I don't know if that's the word I would use. <laughs> And also They're the slimy car. and fleshy and have no eyes. Yeah, the drugs so. are the literal vampires. Okay. No, dark friends, with the exception of one specific thing that we find out about later, are like just bad people. They don't become something else. Are all bad people dark friends? No. But all dark friends are bad people. Yes. Okay. They're like well, capital B bad people. Yes, for the most part. Yeah. We'll get to it. <laughs> we'll get to it. So Lan is prepared to ride off to fight the worms until suddenly they are in a green space full of trees and plants and life. And as they look around at all of this shrubbery, <laughs> a figure steps forward. All capitals, the green man. He's made of plants, and he makes the ten-foot-tall Loyal look like a child next to him. So I'm guessing he's like 16, 17 feet tall. He's like a tree. He's like a tree person who sings and makes the trees bigger. He calls Rand a child of the dragon and asks if his people have returned to the First Covenant but then says it's unlikely based on Rand wearing a sword. That has a lot of significance with the word covenant and um, his people and returning. Also, child of dragon is, is that, is that implying that the race that he thinks he is literally, that's the uh, ethnicity that Luz Theron was, or are they just extra good channel power? Magic dudes. I guess we'll find out. Okay. I don't even know that. I do. You should read more of The Shatter Rising. You would know. <laughs> so that ends the chapter and brings us to chapter 50. Meetings at the Eye. As the green man leads them through his grove, he is casually causing life to spring forth in his wake. He's like just the first half of the forest spirit in Princess Mononoke's second reference to that movie of the night. He takes them to this cave that he won't go in. And everybody goes... Because he says, I feel myself being unmade and my end is linked with it somehow. Yeah, that's like right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like five minutes from now, my guy. Make peace. <laughs> uh so everybody heads inside, and it's this massive chamber filled with glowing crystals and a pool of perfect liquid that uh, Matt has an interaction with. Oh my god. <laughs> Would you like to tell us, oh lord of Matt hatred? But what is it? Matt asked uneasily. That doesn't look like any water I ever saw. <laughs> he kicked a lump of dark stone the size of his fist over the edge. It... And then he sees the stone. Like, dissolve out of reality. Yeah. He is so, 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 so dumb. At least he didn't run and jump into it. Yeah. 
That didn't look like any water I've seen. I better swim in it to make sure. Better dunk my head in it like I was going to do before. Better drink it. I still haven't dunked my head in any bodies of water. This'll do. So this is the non-binary magic of... No. Okay. This is man magic, unfortunately. This this is... (laughs) You want to tell us more about man magic? (laughs) This is the uh, testy of the... uh, is, am I wrong? This is like distilled male magic, untainted by the Dark One. Yeah, this is like the last of Sidar that doesn't have the taint. Uh, Sadine. Sadine. Yeah. And Moraine mentions that it was made after the tainting, and so someone in the Age of Legends must have known how to remove the taint. But just didn't bother to share it with the rest of the world? Well, they lost all sorts of knowledge. Also, everybody that was involved in creating this pool died. Were they died as unforcibly silenced or died because went crazy after? Who knows? I think they said that they died making this. They did say that. I was just trying to be cryptic. Yeah, so essentially they put all their good stuff into the eye of the world and then died. Their death purifying in a way no no think about how when in the prologue like lose theron drew in so much of the power that he ceased to yeah but it like also had greater effects than he could do without drawing in that much power so like it's more likely that these people just drew in so much so that they were able to perform this task but doing so also killed them okay So Moraine suggests that they go back outside to plan, and everybody seems super cool with that. They do not want to be in this room. Yeah, Matt, Rand, and Perrin are all, like, edging along the back wall, trying to not get close to the eye of the world, like they're going to catch cooties. Yeah, they can't hear Moraine telling them that they should go outside, because they're already outside. (laughs) The (laughs) eye of the world is the pure dude magic? Yes. Is there a female equivalent, or because the female is not yet tainted, it's just... Yeah, the female isn't tainted, so there's no need to have an equivalent. Okay. Yeah, this was created as, hey, we're gonna need this at some point. Why is it called an eye? That's a fascinating question. Probably because it's the first book in the series and he hadn't figured out how the world worked yet. Okay, it's just because eyes could be significant as in, like, windows to the soul... Or seeing things and... um, Well, I mean, it's sort of shaped like an eye. There's like a dome over the top that has a hole in it. So the light comes through the hole at the top. So like you're inside the eye. Mm, The cornea. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. That, that's true. The the visualization description is helpful. Even if I read sometimes, I'll just uh, vision it completely how I want. Oh, yeah, I'm terrible at visualizing things. I was just like, this is some shiny, shiny water. Kind of like uh, unicorn blood in Harry Potter looking. That silvery stuff. Uh, just on the grass, but deep. Yeah, it's kind of Quicksilver-esque, I think. Shiny goop. So they leave the cave. They leave the cave. They go back outside, and there are two figures there. Who one is named Aginor, and he is just like 
the most skeletal anyone has ever been. On guard. On guard, Aginor. And the other is Balthamel. He does not speak, and he is so old and busted that he's just, like, covered in leather. Not his is skin, it, but, like, is literally. It that he's old and busted? I thought he was just, like, kinky. I mean, maybe. It could be whatever you want. Do you want it to be that? And I mean, leather could be made out of a bunch of things, so it could be potentially even grosser. Well, I mean, it says, a tight black leather carapace covered that one's head and face completely, but the front of it was worked into a perfect face, a young man's face, laughing wildly, laughing insanely, frozen forever. So this seems like more of a stylistic choice than something that's strictly necessary. (laughs) Spooky beetle man with the face of a young, handsome boy. To me, that came off more as, like, wanting to show, like, if he's old and busted, wanting to have the mask look like he's young and crazy. Is is this a Darth Vader suit? I don't know. You know, either way, it doesn't matter, because I think he's dead by the end of the chapter. Yeah, he gets got by the green man. Yeah. Yeah. So they're taunting the heroes... And oh, they- they're forsaken, by the way. Yeah, they're two of the 13 <laughs> forsaken. No, no. 13 saken. <laughs> two saken. Yeah. Two saken, too furious. <laughs> two saken for me. Um, yeah, the the uh, mentioned of significant bad people yeah, throughout and, history. And Aganor mentions that the reason that they're so like old and crusty is because they were near to the surface. It's true that they were near to the surface of the Dark One's prison, and so time was still affecting them. And so, like Ishamael, we walk the world again, he says. Hmm. So the betrayer's just walking around? Yeah, but only walking. So the green man shows up, and he and Balthamel kill each other to begin this very interesting fight. Wink, wink. Interesting. Yeah. Lan has a contrived, do I go with duty or love moment. Ugh. Gotta get some of that hat tension in. Well, duty is heavier than a mountain. So he goes that way. Um, And then Lan gets busted, and that makes the knave go crazy. It sort of feels like the entire romance subplot was just there to justify this kind of stupid moment where the knave goes crazy and tries to stab Forsaken. You know, she could have just tried to stab Forsaken. You know, you didn't have to build it up. Just just let her stab the Forsaken. At least Robert Jordan is attempting motivated character writing. (laughs) No matter how powerful the wizard, a knife between... The shoulder blades will really cramp their style. Nice try, Robert Jordan. You tried. Yeah. So Nanave and Land get taken out. Matt Perrin and Egwene are like put inside air cages, maybe? It's unclear to me exactly what happens. Despite the fact that Ranch should theoretically be able to see it, I think. It's unclear to me exactly what happens. Hashtag next chapter. <laughs> uh, hashtag chapter 51. Saran so just stays back and refuses to get into the fight that he knows he's going to lose. And Moraine tries to tries and fails to hold off Aganor as she tells Rand to run, and he does. He runs. He runs so far away, but he couldn't get away. 
He runs up to the top of the Eye of the World. He runs to Chapter 51, Against the Shadow. So he's only able to escape for a moment before Agenor shows up, and he is growing less crusty by the second. He has. He's moisturizing. Yeah. With is, the eye of the world. Is, is he still a skeleton, though, or is he slowly peeling on human flesh layers? I, I mean, you know he has flesh, right? He's yeah. just really old. Yeah. It's more like he's, like, inflating like a balloon and his skin is stretching. No, 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 no. Don't say that. Don't say that. We'll get the wrong audience. <laughs> But no, it's like, what is, is he slowly becoming more buff? Yeah. As he's in like returning to being a buff man. De-aging. Okay. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's becoming more vital. He's sort of doing a Benjamin Button. He's reading Jordan Peterson. Oh no. <laughs> that is the second Jordan Peterson joke of the podcast. I regret this. Uh, so, Aganor has this huge glowing cord attaching him to some far-off place. Who knows? And as Rand is wishing that he had a way to survive, a small piece of this cord detaches and comes off towards Rand and attaches to him. Oof. He and Agenor are both growing stronger and more full of light and power as they draw on these cords. Before Agenor is yelling about, no, I will win, and then he bursts into flames. And is is what they're pulling the pure dude magic, or is it the pattern? It's pure dude magic. Okay. (laughs) I appreciate that we're just calling what's in the eye of the world pure dude magic. (laughs) It's because Sidin? Sidin. It's... It just sounds like shampoo. <laughs> you too can get glowing locks like Luz Daren. Agonor's like, I was a skeleton five minutes ago. Now I'm a buff man with magic man juice. Sadine. With pure dude magic. Yeah. So suddenly Rand is somewhere else. He's now, Here we go. Yeah. He's now on a battlefield where... Uh, Trollocs and men are disengaging from a fight, and they're both regrouping. On my first read, I was so confused. I thought this was some kind of, like, flashback vision of a previous Tarman Gaidon or something. A time travel thing. Yeah, essentially. I thought it was a vision, not something that was actually happening. Nah, this is real life, son. (laughs) Real life, real consequences, real magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I realize I keep referencing Naruto, and I think it's just because that's the most to read fan fiction of, but it felt kind of like a Genjutsu. It was either that or the time travel slash past cycles thing. So no, he but like, he literally did just teleport to a different real place. Yeah. It's just the writing is so abstract and hard to follow that it feels like a vision, even though it's literally happening. You won't believe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but is is this battle the battle that Angel Man was hoping that the uh Cool Moraine duo would overtake? Yes. Do you mean it the battle Tarwin's Gap? At Tarwin's Gap? Yeah, at at Baby Gap. Wait, what? Uh <laughs> 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 Come fight some Trollocs at Baby Cat. 
Uh, so the merger will see... They see Rand on the battlefield just standing there in the middle. And they point at him for the drog car to come after him. And he just summons half a dozen bolts of lightning from the sky and kills them all instantly. And then he is like pounding his fists on the ground, screaming. And it opens up fissures in the earth. Yeah, he's like killing hundreds of Trollocs every time he does it. Is lightning a subset of air magic, or is lightning considered its own element in this world? I think it's like air and fire together, I yeah, think. it's probably like an air-fire thing. Okay. So the humans are charging, presumably, to get him, because they don't want him to just die in Tarwin's Gap? I don't remember if what? they mentioned No, they're just trying to finish off the Trollocs. Okay. That's what I didn't remember, was whether Rand like tried to intuit why they were charging him. No, essentially he kills them all and then he thinks, I want to find Balzalon. Yeah, and then he's somewhere else. He is in a void standing on some stairs and the stairs just go up and he follows them. When he reaches the top, he is back in one of the dream rooms with Balzalon, who has his own cord, but this one is shadow, not light. As Baalzaman taunts Rand and maybe summons Rand's mother, I like I don't think this is how the rest of the series treats death, so I'm unsure if this actually happens. Mind game? And also, like, based on what I know about where they are fighting from stuff that's revealed later on. I'm just not sure that this is, like, a literal event that is happening. Is his mother's soul existing and being, like, tortured relentlessly? Questions that you'll probably answer with. You'll find out in future books. Is is the void like the ways? This particular void? Yes. No, I think it's just, uh... He just teleported with his yeah, I mean, pure dude magic. I mean, you'll find out in later books. Okay. But... Yeah, he just used pure dude magic. Okay. <laughs> and um, what you were saying with the is this mom soul or not, I was also wondering if it was just, just another way to manipulate because in each of the dreams he's been trying different ways to get Rand to just come to his side. So I was wondering if he was trying to pull on this emotion to yeah. make that happen. Seems likely. Yeah. Because he also summons an image of Nanave and Egwene and then Rand's like, that's definitely not Nanave and Egwene, and Balsamon gives up on that. So so Rand gets tired of doing this. Yeah, there's a good quote that Please. I pulled. In the midst of the light, the void drifted, and in the midst of the void floated Rand. He reached for the soil of his home and felt hard rock, unyielding and dry, stone without pity, where only the strong could survive. Only those as hard as the mountains. I am tired of running. He could not believe his voice was so calm. Tired of you threatening my friends. I will run no more. Rand is cool. Rand is cool. <laughs> Seniors facing finals week. Yeah. <laughs> He's also a cocky boy. He says, I tracked you here and destroyed your army on the way. You do not weave the pattern. Yeah. Wow. Evoking the pattern. So Rand summons a sword of light to smite Baal Zaman, 
that also has a heron mark on it. Yes. He severs Baazamon's dark cord and burns him from within. So Rand again teleports. Shaitan is dead. <laughs> Honestly, this was the most really you built up for all of this, and that's it. Yeah, it's not the most. You spark notes to your own story. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you what your feelings were about this climax. I was like, I spent all this time reading for this. Pretty much. How does it feel? I mean, I definitely wouldn't buy this book. You didn't? <laughs> yeah. I would not recommend <laughs> anyone else to buy this book. Check it out at the library if you need to. Support your local yeah. library. But uh, no, don't, don't, ba- don't buy this book. Yeah, for me, if this was just a random book I had picked up off the shelf and not part of this storied, revered series, The Wheel of Time, I would not look for the sequel. No. No, like if there weren't 13 more books, this would be really bad. Yeah, I think it helps the fact that in 1990, there weren't good fantasy series. So people saw this on the shelf and were like, oh man, this is the only fantasy series I can read. That's true. Fantasy has really changed and become... Because of the series, pretty much. Yeah, this series was, like, hugely influential. Fiona's giving me a look. Well, no, I was just thinking of Ursula K. Le Guin, and she's way older, and she's been writing for longer. Well, yeah, she's, like, we're not saying that Robert Jordan is better. We're just saying that a lot of the popular modern fantasy today is taking cues from Robert Jordan, for better or for worse. Oh. Specifically, Brandon Sanderson, who I feel has perfected the Robert Jordan formula in the Stormlight Archives. Read the Stormlight Archives. I don't think I've read any of his books. I guess I tended not to read this style of fantasy, so, um... I highly recommend pretty much anything Brandon Sanderson. So. Well, one day we may get to the Stormlight Archives. Is it super het? Compulsive romance? No, it's not as het. Okay. It's pretty het, but not as het. You know what is het? My love for moving on to chapter 52. <laughs> <laughs> there are neither beginnings nor endings. So Rand is back on the hill where he was. He wakes up, and he's extremely weak. There's, like, a burned smear on the ground that was <laughs> Agonor. <laughs> it said something about greasy ash. Yeah, it's like almost a cartoon smoking pair of boots. <laughs> Spontaneous combustion. Yeah. The Dark One is dead. There was no more need for caution. Shaitan is dead. That's, he said it. That's and like, way too bold. Yeah, and like the entire world shakes when he says the name. Is the reason he's they've been calling him Balthazar rather than Shaitan? You know it's Balsamon, right? I just want to make sure that you don't think it's actually Balthazar. I actually don't rem- I I'm I just it's really hard for me to pronounce and remember. I'm really kind of just going I through. feel cursed. <laughs> Yeah, Baalzaman is sort of a pet name. Shaitan is the name that Nene would box your ears if she heard. Okay. Also, the earth would shake <laughs> if you said it out loud. Okay. Think about it like Sauron. Saying Shaitan is like if you stood on a mountain and waved the ring in the direction of Mordor. Hey, how you yeah, doing? Yeah, like, come look at me. Mm-hmm. It's that. Okay. 
But he's dead, so no worries. That's... Yeah. Rand is so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> There's 13 more books. <laughs> Where's your proof? Where's the corpse? <laughs> Where's the receipts? Uh, so he very quickly recovers, and he makes his way back to the cave. And he feels great. Yeah, he's just he's on top of the world. Um, where Egwene, the Nave, and Moraine are resting after their fight. Only one of them really fought. <laughs> uh, they exchange information, catch each other up, and Ran finally has the thought in so many words that he can channel. Uh, the girls also figure it out, and Egwene, like, flinches from touching him for a minute. It's pretty savage. I mean, if he's a dark goop boy, would you want to touch the dark goop boy? Is he a dark goop boy? Well, it's it's implied that all guys who channel go insane, so... I just yeah. wanted to clarify what you meant by dark goop. Oh. <laughs> dark is in dark, friends, because dark is bad. Um, the darkest goop. And goop because the magic is goopy. The knave says, The wheel weaves as the wheel wills, but you are still Randall Thor of Emon's Field. But light help me. The light help us all. You are too dangerous. Yeah. So that's the feeling. Yeah. They have a little verbal spat, and Rand refuses to be an Ace Sedai puppet. So Matt, Perrin, Loyal, and Rand. Uh, I'm sorry, and Lan all return from they were in the Eye of the World cave, which there's now just a hole. Um, that pool of unicorn's blood, magic man magic. Pure dude magic, all gone. Yeah, Rand took all the pure dude magic into himself. They are carrying three things. Broken bits of black and white pottery, a heavy gold chest, and a bundled white cloth. All of these things were sitting at the bottom of the eye until now. And all of them are disturbing that they exist and are there. Yeah. Were they used in a magic ritual? Do they have power within them? Or are they just... I think they were just hidden. Okay. So they explain some of it, is that the seal, which is a broken seal, which is supposed to be unbreakable, is one of the seals that would keep the Dark One in Sheol Ghoul. So that's disturbing that it's broken. The other one is the Horn of Valir, which we've heard referenced in all the songs about the Great Hunt. So we know that it's real important, and Moraine says it needs to get to Ilion. And then the last one is the Banner of Luzther and Telmon, which is disturbing for various reasons, if you think that the dragon is coming to destroy the world. Yeah. I just want to read the inscription on the Horn of Valir. Tia mi avin muridin isande vadin. The grave is no bar to my call. It's just so good. Zombies. I love this. I love that sentence. Necromancy. The grave is no bar to my call does things to my emotions. You're such an edgy lord. <laughs> I mean, it's just, that's just, like, a sentence of necromancy. That's what it just comes off as, like, it's so dark! Well, it's this golden horn inside a golden chest that requires, like, some special unlocking method. I guess I get, I'm much more excited about the fact that 
uh, learning that plums and apricots are canon to this universe. <laughs> you know, stone fruits are really important. I'm giving Beyond a look. I'm not actually kidding that much. Let's just move on. The wheel turns. Chapter 53, the wheel turns. Uh, so the group makes their way out of the grove, which is now dying. Loyal sings his tree song to strengthen a small part of the grove so that it won't fall to the corruption of the blight. And they literally like sit around for an hour listening to Loyal sing. Yeah. The book, this isn't just my notes, the book like skips back to them being in Faldara. Pretty much. Decided that we lived through enough travel scenes. God, thank you. And the winter's over. Winter's over. Spring has come. A new spring, you could say. Rebirth. Rand intuits that this is because of the blow dealt to the Dark One by him at the eye. That now it's spring. So after securing the horn with Angel Man... We skipped forward a bit, and is it like two weeks that we skip? Well, also, Angel Man talks about the miracle at Tarwin's Gap. Oh, that's true. Good job, Rands. You're a miracle. Yeah. He's a miracle worker, some might say. So, Rand is practicing the blade with Lan. While you secured the Horn of Valir, I studied the blade. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Egwene shows up and Lan leaves so they can have their little time together. Rand again insists that he will never use the power again, not even if he has to lose a hand. It's like the, I'll never forsake the one I'm fighting for, forsakes the ones he's fighting for. He's like already forsaking them. Yes. Uh, Moraine- Yeah, he thinks he's gonna go live as a hermit. Yeah, that's the plan. And Moraine eavesdrops with the power and says to herself that the dragon is reborn- is is the qualifier to be the dragon is you don't want to be the dragon? No, it's like a specific... There's a whole book of qualifiers to be the dragon. <laughs> I don't know if you mean the book called The Dragon Reborn or no, the No, I mean the, the book called The Karathian Cycle. Yeah. Okay. It's just, it's an interesting place to specifically be like, ah, oh, yes, the dragon is reborn. No. Right she, with that. She's just referring to the fact that even though Rand is saying, I won't use the power, I won't be an important person. She's like, he is an important person. He is the dragon. The dragon is reborn. I think the combination of him both being Tavarin and a male channeler is pretty, a pretty good indicator. Signs indicate. Um, What I was... Crap, where'd my brain go? Ah, yes. Even if he has to lose a hand. Um, that feels very much like a, this will be the best Beltane ever. <laughs> um, and uh, even if I lose a hand, it's, it's uh, promises are serious, especially when it comes to magic. So. Uh, Something to keep track of. <laughs> to keep track of. Call me in 11 books. <laughs> when he loses a hand. That's the end of book one. Uh, I have one last note. Um, it's in all caps. It says, book over, don't ever ask me for anything ever again. All caps, just like the strange fight. Yeah, there was part of that strange yeah. fight in all caps. Yeah. Let's keep that in mind as we go forward. The Dark One speaks in all caps. If I said yes, would you believe no me? No need for a punctuation, only caps lock. I didn't realize the dark one. Well, I guess if he lives outside of time, then he has the internet. 
So no wonder he's the dark one. He's a nerd. Yeah, we did discuss. Okay, well, this has not been fun. I mean, the podcast is. <laughs> the book is not. Yeah. Is is? Do we want to conclude with something more significant as in, and so we close uh, this yeah, turning I mean, of the wheel or something? Yeah. Well, I mean, do you want to conclude your... Like, I feel like I've been talking about my overall feelings on the book. Yeah. I mean, you gave us some, but I don't know if you have any more. Four out of ten. <laughs> wow. Um, would not buy for myself or anyone. Jeez. And if someone bought it for me, I would politely smile and then donate it. Wow. Well, the good news is it doesn't get worse than this. <laughs> Um, it's definitely been an adventure, and I like doing this podcast, and it's been cool to think more about literature again in a non-purely academic way. So um, it's been cool. Yeah. yeah. It forces us to get through the hard parts of this series to get to the good parts, yeah. which starts next episode, because I feel like the quality of the series spikes dramatically even from the very first page of the second book yeah it like skyrockets the bar has been raised yeah like but speaking of which i think we're going to be taking a week between books yes yeah i think both in general and right now it it will be useful to have a cool down period between some of this stuff. Allows a chance for a breather. Also right now is a time of transition for me because I'm starting school again. Yeah, I have a ton of stuff at work, so good to take a little bit of time. Still need to edit these episodes, but yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. So this has been The Eye of the World, brought to you by three people that don't like The Eye of the World. <laughs> <laughs> the book. Pure dude magic. Yeah. <laughs> Pure dude magic starring Angel Mon, uh, Chad. Wait, Angel Mon? That's a Digimon. <laughs> He's becoming a Digimon. <laughs> Please imagine Angel Ishmael Mon. the betrayer. Ishmael who rides a Goes white to whale. Edmondsfield. Yeah. Ishmael of Edmondsfield travels to Camelion uh, to talk with Ilyada. But it's been good. It's yeah, been, it's been good. fun. Uh, yeah, so this has been The Third Wheel. Uh, I'm Tyler. I'm Beyond. And I'm Jesse. And uh, we'll see you next time with a better book. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks. <laughs>